Welcome to the Rutledge Perspective. I'm your host, Laurel Rutledge, and this show is where we talk about things that are top of mind as you navigate your career or build your business. The plan is to get you out of your rut or talk you back off that ledge with insights and perspectives on the daily grind. Here, we speak the truth. Here, we challenge ideas. Here, we give ourselves grace. And along the way, we also have a little fun. Welcome to the village. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of The Rutledge Perspective. I'm so glad to have you here. As always, thank you so much for your continued support and your continued following and downloading of The Rutledge Perspective podcast. I have an incredible guest for you today, and I had the pleasure of being on her podcast, and we had so much to talk about that I'm like, okay, we got to do this again, and we will probably end up being on each other's podcast multiple times because there's just so much, and she is Celine Williams, and I'm going to give you a short piece of her bio because I'll put it in the show notes and I want to dive right in. So Celine is an international speaker and she's the founder of Revisionary, which I love, a boutique consulting firm providing executive coaching, leadership development, and culture services to human-focused businesses around the world. And I'll have her talk to you about what she means by human-focused businesses. She is sought after for her expertise in accelerating team performance designing culture, managing transformation, and facilitating effective communications. And in 2020, she won the award for best culture design specialist from the corporate vision for her body of work. Celine, thank you for being on my podcast. I'm so excited. I am so excited. I can, I would just like to talk to you all the time, nonstop. That would be my ideal situation because we always have such great conversations. Always. We do. We do. There's so much to talk about and so much to delve into and such great perspectives. And, and I think when people hear you, they're going to understand what I mean, because it's just, it's, the insight is incredible. And so, so let's start first, tell people a little bit about Revisionary, including kind of that name, because you and I talked about that a little bit, Revisionary and what you're doing and what you mean by human, you know, focused businesses. Yeah. So um, the name is, so the full disclosure, the name was complicated (laughs) to come to because my original name for my business was hilariously terrible. And I knew it when I was like, I just couldn't come up with something. Right. Um, And I came across, I was working with a friend of mine who who threw that out as part of some Mm -hmm. uh, copy we were talking about. And I was like, oh, that's the name of my business because I, first of all, it's a fun play on visionary and it's a fun play on a bunch of, but also the, the idea behind revisionary is that there's, we're not coming up with new ideas. We are, we are we are iterating on old ideas. We are combining yes. things in new ways. We are revisioning things. Yes. And that to me was really important, especially when it comes to leadership and organizations and coaching, right. working with people, because, you know, what I'm really focused on is shifting perspectives, not saying there is one right way of doing things mm-hmm. or there's, there's one wrong way of doing things. I just, I fundamentally don't believe that is true about anything. Right. It was really about how do we combine things in a new way? How do we take the ideas and improve on them and strip out what doesn't work and add more of what does in? And that's the, that's what revisionary is. That's what the, that's the meaning of the word is that like repurposing and revisioning and not assuming that we're going to have some brilliant new idea out of the blue that no one's ever thought of before because that's <laughs> right. really not super likely at this point and right. i'm sorry to 
all the tech people who are like, no, my idea is the first one. But like, really, you, I'm, I pick on Facebook all the time. Mm-hmm. Facebook is, yes, the platform it's on was a new platform. The way in right. which it was done was new. But connecting and following people and community is not new. So it's just right. the old idea that we've taken and repurposed and re-envisioned in a new way. I love that. I love that because there's an old saying that says um, there is nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing right. new under the sun. And and I love that it's about repurposing. And of course you use my, my favorite word perspective, right? Getting new perspectives on things. Yeah. And so this human focused business, what does yeah. that mean? So I, a few years ago, made the very distinct decision that I wanted to work with human focused organizations. So I've worked mm-hmm. I've worked in corporate environments. I've worked with yeah. corporate people in corporate environments. I've worked with startups and I've worked with growth stage, you know, mm-hmm. whether they move through it or other growth stage organizations. Right. And the place that I realized that I had the most joy in the work that I was doing and was most effective with the people I was mm-hmm. working with, whether it was the teams or the leaders or a bigger culture piece was when they were human focused. And that is to say that they really put the people in their organization at the forefront of what they are doing. Mm -hmm. So it is Mm -hmm. an intentional choice to say, yeah, we know that people, or we know that profits matter. And yeah, we know that products matter. And we're not doing any of that if we don't take care of our people first and foremost. So it it is a shift in perspective because Mm -hmm. no offense to, you know, traditional corporate mentality, but that's not what it is. It is how do... How do we improve our products? How do we get the right people in place to do it? How do we improve our profits? How do we get the right people in place to do it? As opposed to how do we have an incredible group of people and take such phenomenal care of them Mm -hmm. that they are going to drive our profits, that they are going to create incredible products because we're starting with them. And that, when I talk about human focused organizations, that's really what I'm talking about. And there's, you know, there are some organizations that are very the big organizations that are very clearly doing it and Mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of the more established organizations that's not their culture it's not what they're doing they may have some great i don't love this term but i'm going to use it anyway (laughs) may have some great like band-aid solutions that say hey we really care about our people and we're going to throw parties and we're going to give you extra benefits or whatever the thing (sighs) is but it doesn't actually change the core that the leadership starts with. And when the executive leadership starts with, we care about our people and Mm -hmm. how we do what we do matters. Mm -hmm. That is when we're stepping into human focused, human focused organizations and human focused leadership. I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, and scene, right? (laughs) It's just, that is so perfect because we do hear, you know, people, people will listen to what you say, but they will believe what you do. And all of these organizations that talk about people are our greatest asset and we put our people first. And, and then those are the same ones that are like, Oh, you know what? We didn't make it this year. We're going to cut travel. We're going to cut training. We're going to cut all this stuff. That's directly in the bullseye of people and supporting people. Did you really mean what you said or not? Because cutting all of that or just throwing money at people because contrary to popular belief, because this idea isn't new, there's all kinds of science that says money is not a satisfier. At some point, it can be a motivator, but it starts to be the law of diminishing returns because at some point you can't pay people enough money to put up with what you're doing. 100%. 
100%. I feel like you need to plaster that everywhere because people don't hear it and they don't yeah. believe it. And yet we have, you see it happen in organizations. You see yes. the research backing it up. It is not, it's, it really is. It can be that simple. We have to step yes. away from thinking as money as the be all end all. And to your point, I think there is a, there's a lot of organizations that say they care mm-hmm. about their people. And I have worked with organizations where when, you know, I have a small team of people that work with me and Mm -hmm. we'll step in to do projects and we'll do an assessment and evaluation. Mm -hmm. I have, we have zero times recommended downsizing zero times. Doesn't make a difference how big the organization is. We have never recommended, Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to downsize these people in this way. Mm -hmm. And I've had leadership say like, this is like, this is not what we were expecting because there are a lot of big consulting companies that go in and they do their big evaluation and they spend a lot of time and it's not that they're not doing good work. They definitely are. But the first thing they always recommend is here's where you're going to cut 20% of your workforce because that's an automatic savings that they can say, look at that ROI. Yes. And I'm always like, if you want there, and listen, it's not to say there's not going to be individuals that you want to cut because they're not right. That's, but at no point is it, here's what you're going to cut out because, and because that does not like, that is not putting your people first. That is the perfect example of not stepping into human focused leadership and not stepping into a human focused culture. And I, again, I'm really lucky because the organizations that have chosen to work with us, they see that and they're like, perfect because we care about our people and we want them to be here. And what's so interesting about that, so people who've been listening to me will be like, but Laurel, that's contrary to what you always say. I'm like, no, because I always say it always comes down to strategy and people. And the reality is when you're doing what you're talking about, Celine, when you look first and do an evaluation of the organization, you're looking at the strategy. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be? Where are you trying to serve? What, what, what is your thing? And you start there. And then who are the people, right? Once we know what the thing is, what is the kind of work that needs to be done to do the thing? And then who are the people that get that work done? Because then you're like, we got to find those people because those people get it, but we're going to take care of them. We're going to do what it takes to find them. We're going to nurture them because we know those people get the vision. They get the strategy and we are flexible enough in understanding our overarching strategy. So that if new information comes in and we need to shift in the day-to-day or shift in a product or a process, we know we've got the right people who get the end goal. So we can make those shifts without fear as opposed to, oh, it's not working. We got to cut up this department. Oh, right. it's not working. We got to save. If you cut this out, you save 20% and you've paid for my big old consulting fee because see, right. we out 400 people. Yeah. Come on. Yep. Right. So it is all aligned, y'all. It is all aligned. If you start with the end in mind and then bring the people that understand that end in mind and start there and stay there and not the party planners, not the paper pushers, not all that namby pamby (laughs) stuff, which some people need, right? Some people love the corporate parties. God bless them. They love the corporate parties. But again, just like money, a corporate party is not going to make your best people stay. That's not why they stay. They don't stay because you give them a steak dinner. They don't, they just don't. So Celine, we talked we talked about this before we started recording because there's so many ways to go in this leadership discussion. And this is such a, a perfect segue from what you're saying about these human-centered 
organizations and especially human-centered leadership. So one of the things that has come up is this whole idea of authenticity, compartmentalization, transparency, all of those words we throw around all over the place, right? And it occurred to me um, that one of the things that we don't talk about very often is compartmentalizing. And what does that really mean in terms of how you show up as a leader? And so, you know, as I, as you and I were talking, the story I gave was when I left my last job, people were like, we had no idea what you were dealing with. And that's because as a leader, yes, I needed to keep people informed. I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to give them information, but they didn't need to know how the sausage was being made. And they didn't always need to know all of my internal turmoil. Now, if it was impacting them, I was like, look, it's one of those days. I just need y'all to overlook it, right? <laughs> it's going to be fine. But you didn't need to have them have the bowels of the organization. Talk to me a little bit about how you help leaders reconcile being transparent, being authentic, but also protecting people at the level of, of kind of need to know without it sounding covert. Yeah. So I love this. I love this topic of conversation. I'm very excited about it. And I'm going to start by saying there's a reason that we talk about it being like, I'm going to get the language wrong and the quote wrong, but the idea that like, it's lonely at the top. There's yes. a reason that that is a common saying, a common idea we talk about with leadership. Mm -hmm. And it is because I leaders are constantly looking for that balance of who can I share this with? How can I share it? What needs to yes. be shared? And that yeah. feels really lonely. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to acknowledge that because I think it's important that we acknowledge that those things go hand in hand a lot of the time. And finding that balance of being able to authentically be yourself and show up as your full mm -hmm. self while recognizing that not everyone needs to know all the things. Yeah. And there is a time when, you know, Brene Brown talks about this in Dare to Lead, where she talks, mm -hmm. maybe not in Dare to Lead, maybe in a video. Brene Brown talks right. about <laughs> at some point in something she's done. Uh-huh. So sorry that I can't remember. Right. <laughs> but that's real. Um, yes, exactly. Where she, where she talks about that line between vulnerability and oversharing. Yes. And it's a similar, it's a similar situation, right? Where you want to be yourself, you want to be vulnerable, you want to be authentic, you want to be able to show up. And there is a line in oversharing where people cannot handle that information, mm -hmm. where people mm -hmm do not understand where it's coming from or what right. to do with it. And not everyone is equipped for that. And it's not everyone's responsibility to take that on either. And the, say that again, that it's not everyone's equipped for it. And it's not everyone's responsibility to take that on either. Yes. 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 And as if you think about, so I would use this example. I think that mm -hmm. at the executive table, of an organization that mm -hmm. those leaders are more responsible to take on more of that information because yes. of the nature of the work that they're doing and their job. Mm -hmm. But you go down two or three layers and it's not their responsibility to take that on or to have to figure that out for you or with you. So you want to inform people as much as you can about what's going mm -hmm. on. And you want to inform people in a way that is going to support them and keep them in the loop and make it so that they're not feeling afraid or uncertain or like they're not trusted. That's important, but it doesn't right. mean they have to know all of the things that are discussed at the executive table. It doesn't mean they have to know all of the 
uncertainties or unknowns or figuring it out. They don't need to know that the sausage is being made. They don't need to know all the ingredients that are going into the sausage. Right. And it's it like, this is a real, I see this all the time with executives when I'm working with them, which is that, that challenge of, again, I'm really lucky. I worked with a lot of human focused leaders and they tend to be, they tend to err highly on the side of authenticity and vulnerability. Yes. So tell everybody everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to tell them all the th- I want them to be involved. I don't want anyone to feel like they're ever not involved in something. Like, it's really, it's, and yeah. I think it's a wonderful thing to have yes. that desire because it, yes. they want people to feel trusted and they right. want people to feel in the loop. And a lot of the conversations we have are around what, what is really an appropriate thing to share with that person? Because mm-hmm. you want them to feel mm-hmm. like, you know, this conversation, you want them to know that this conversation, whatever it is, is happening. So what is the appropriate thing to share? How can you gauge whether someone is ready or in a position to hear what you want to share? And how do you take your confusion, emotion, whatever it is that might upset them, activate Mm -hmm. them, trigger them, whatever out of it, so that it is as neutral a conversation as possible? Because that's the other big thing is that a lot of times, when we are, when we want to share and we want to be transparent, it's not neutral for us. And therefore no. we are creating fear or anxiety or whatever in someone else. And right. I mean, I don't, I think a one, I think a really great leader doesn't want to do that, but doesn't always have the ability to walk that line effectively. Exactly. And I, I think a lot about, as you said, you know, it's lonely at the top. And so, and in particular, when you talk to executives in, in, in particular areas, mm. not so much the operations folks, which, and, and I'm not by any means negating the importance of, the, of their role, but if you take a CEO, a CFO, a general counsel, and a chief human resources officer, those four roles have a tendency to have access to information that should it get to the wrong person at the right time, not only could it be a compliance issue, right? But it could seriously traumatize the business, the department, because, because if people can't process it, and as you said, don't know all of the things around it, don't know the why, don't know the what, don't know the, the vision, they're just getting bits and pieces, it can really be detrimental to the organization and can stop innovation, it can you know drive attrition, it can do all kinds of things. And yet these four people, so that's kind of your dream team, right? Those four people need to be tight, especially your CEO, your general counsel, and your HR person. Of those four, those three have to be like lockstep yep. because that's all your people stuff. Yep. But here's the thing. How do you, especially in the very senior executives ro- executive roles, and you're wanting to be human focused and you're wanting to let people know and inform them, how do you compartmentalize enough that you can recognize when I need to tell people what I need to tell them and when I need to go find my confidant, my person that I can say, okay, I just need, I, just, I need to open the kimono to somebody. I just need to vent, right? How do you help them navigate their, their true confidant versus, yeah, you got people on your team you can trust, but you still got to have enough of the veil up that it's, it's managing the information. I think it's different for everyone. And I think it's different based on the organization's mm-hmm. structure mm-hmm. and who's in it. And and I will fully own that there's, I have a bias going into this. So I'm going to say this with a bias going into it. Gotcha. I think that every executive at that level should have someone they are that is not in the organization 
or multiple people, whether it is a an executive coach and or a therapist, by the way, mm-hmm. I, I don't have it. Like, have it be a therapist. Like, that's a somewhat, my therapist, right? Like, you want someone who based on the the nature of the relationship, the nature of the of the confidentiality, all of that stuff, yeah. that they are holding that space for you. So mm-hmm. you can process out loud. And yes. That processing out loud with that person should be the first step in, and it could be multiple people. I, I, I work with executives who literally mm-hmm. have two coaches and a therapist, and that's where they process first <laughs> before they go, which is great because they're doing yeah. different areas of specialty, whatever the case may be, right? Like mm-hmm. wonderful. Have that as your primary processing space so that you can get clear on what where your emotions are attached, where your stories are attached, what, you know, any frustrate, whatever it is before you go and say, now, what do I share with these people? And I, I have the benefit of working with a number of teams where I work Mm -hmm. with executive teams. So I work with each person individually on an executive Mm -hmm. team and we do some team stuff as well, like whether, whatever it is. And the benefit of having someone like me, I'm not in the organization, so I'm not, I, it is an outside perspective with mm-hmm. inside understanding is that right. I am able to, and it's not just me, there's other people who do this. I want to make this clear. Mm-hmm. You'd be a great person for this as well. It's not right. a, the benefit of that for the, the executive teams, for executives in that position is they have someone who is mm-hmm. not attached to the specific outcomes for the organization, who is right. not attached to uh, you know, uh, 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 whatever the the situation is mm-hmm. in a specific mm-hmm. way, but who knows the people well enough to provide insight to say, here's how you could approach these people with it. And here's yes. where you need to be careful with these people for these reasons. Yes. And so they can help you structure an approach that works for mm-hmm. you. So you don't feel like you're compartmentalizing with your people where you mm-hmm. actually feel like, and this is really important in human focused leadership, by the way, mm-hmm. you are approaching in a way that works for them. So you're not doing the thing that is, I need to do this in this way. That's why you have your outside people. You're like, okay, I've, yes. I've got that out. Now, how do I make what's important for them? How do I put them first? I love that. You guys, did you hear that? We have talked about that a lot. Leadership is about behavior, not position. And leadership is about the other person, not about you. When you're leading people, you're leading other people. You are serving them. You're helping them get to where they need to be. So so you got to take off that me, me, me hat, that ego hat. That's why so many leaders fail is they're worried about their success. They're worried about how they come across. They're worried about all this other stuff first as opposed to how do I look at these people and and help these people? And oh, by the way, by doing my work, I can do better work with them. It's it's a totally, I was gonna say totally selfless. It's not totally selfless, but it is a a reverse of focus to away from self as primary, right? Because if it was selfless, that would mean you wouldn't have your external people that you can vent to, right? It is, there is some selfishness in being able to be a great leader because you got to put your mask on first. But you got to understand once you put yours on, you got to help other people put theirs on. It doesn't yeah. stop with you. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. stop with you. And so, Celine, as you as you were saying that, so many things came up. So this whole idea of, of you know, kind of having this external inventing, 
how do you help people recognize? Because I have I have a number of friends, I have a number of clients who process out loud. Oh yeah. And then you have people who process internally. And if you're a leader, you probably learn to focus on the people who process internally because they're really quiet. So you always want to make sure there's something they know. If that, you know, you you kind of tune into them sometimes. And then the people that process out loud, we tend to like stop, stop hearing them as much because we know they're processing out loud. How do you help leaders recognize when they themselves are out loud, pro- out loud processors and how to balance that, recognize it, get aware, balance that, and then how they work with that inside their teams? Mm. Um, so I believe in a direct approach, <laughs> generally speaking. I love that. No, I've actually had this conversation with a few people in the past six months where it was, you know, an I would share an observation about how they were processing or where, mm-hmm. you know, what I had seen them doing. Mm-hmm. Often they were out loud processors who weren't aware that they were out loud processors. So I will give yeah. you, a, I will give you an example. I have worked with a leader who is brilliant in mm-hmm. so many ways. And mm-hmm. is an out loud processor and didn't recognize yeah. about themselves. And so what yeah, that yeah. meant was that the communication was perceived as confusing, as mm-hmm. lacking direction, as, you know, it, p- putting an idea out and then people would jump on it. And this person was mm-hmm. like, what, what are we doing? Because they didn't recognize that they were processing right. out loud and everyone else is like, oh, this person is saying this. We have to go do that. We have right. to resources into it we have to whatever the case may be again someone who is very very open Mm -hmm, (laughs) very mm -hmm. wanting to share and involve people and we had the conversation where i you know i shared an observation i was like i want to i'm going to tell you something that i've seen and you tell me if this lands or resonates or if you thought about this before and i shared the observation Mm -hmm. that i think that they are they process things out loud Mm -hmm. and in the moment their thought pattern makes sense to them. So they're following the, they're connecting all the dots, but the people around them aren't because they're not in their head. So Mm -hmm. as they're going all over the place, the people who are receiving this are trying to hang on to key points, not following the lines that only make sense in our own heads. We all have this. And then taking the elements that they have understood and running with it, which is making the leader frustrated. It's making the team frustrated. It's creating Mm -hmm. all these, these disconnects. And this person was like, that's exactly what I do. And I've never thought of it before. I, I'd never, I've never thought of it. And what it became was great. So how can we like, how can we minimize this and minimize the impact of it? And so part of it was going to the team and saying, Hey, I just realized I do this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. Let's be real. I just realized I do this thing. I am not aware of it. I'm probably going to keep doing it as much as I'm working on it. Let's set up a system, if you like, that minimizes the impact of this. So yeah. what, if I'm doing this at, and you're thinking, oh, we need to go run with these things, I want you to pause and say, hey, do you want us to do anything with this? Don't make the assumption. Ask the question. Are we just, are you just, do you just need to brainstorm? Because we're good. We'll just listen and receive, mm-hmm. right? Ask the questions inside of it. Yes. Which was a great checkpoint for this leader because no one had ever done that because the joy of leadership is that people ask you fewer questions the more senior you are, right? They just start making assumptions. So no one was asking the question. This person was like, I don't understand what the problem is. Right. Fair happens. And then on their end, 
there we set up a system that was like how do you plan for these conversations how do you prepare ahead of time what kind of questions whatever it is so that they were going in more prepared than they had been ahead of time they had a system set up to say if you're coming with these ideas or with these proposals send me them this much time ahead of time so i can plan questions so preparation beforehand to help minimize it and then the awareness of the team to help this person be accountable and recognize the impact in the moment of what they were doing so it has it's actually really entertaining to to see how much of a difference this has made to the point where they're like well if i had known 10 years ago that it was this easy but it is that so i'm a big believer in be direct have a direct conversation you can do it kindly and i you know there's absolutely it's not hey you're doing something really crappy and it's having Mm the shitty impact on your team and let's not like it's not that but like here's an observation have Mm -hmm. you thought of this have a conversation what can we you know check with your team check with the people around you have they observed this and then how how what do you want to do or what are you committing to to try shifting it or changing it or having a different impact or what is the Mm -hmm. impact you want to have right what is right what is what do you want your team to walk away from meetings with you feeling or doing or whatever right Mm -hmm. there's a thousand options and there's not one right way to do like i said the beginning i don't believe in one right way so this isn't it's not the one right way but this is Mm -hmm. a specific situation where it was like here's why i think going in directly and kindly directly and i i'm gonna say this i'm i i feel like i'm a broken record for this when i talk about it but i'm gonna say (laughs) being direct is not being blunt being blunt is not thinking about the recipient's feelings Mm -hmm. or how they are going to receive something it is saying what you feel you need to say to feel complete i am not talking about being blunt yes Throw blunt out the window because it creates so many problems. You can be direct because direct has that person in mind first and foremost. I care about you. I care about the outcome of this conversation you and I are having. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With that care top of mind, I'm going to share something with you that I think is going to benefit you regardless of what i would do or what i it's not about me i'm not going to talk about me i want you this might be nothing but if it is let's let's bring this to your awareness and i i realize i just went on a side rant but i just i think that's awesome no it's awesome because i tell people all the time it is not unkind to be clear and you don't have to be ugly to be candid That, that whole, as you said, words matter. When you say blunt, people automatically hear mean, mm-hmm. nasty. When mm-hmm. you hear candid, people automatically mean nasty, egotistical. You're going to hurt my feelings. But clarity and directness don't have to be either blunt or candid. They just have to be honest and true, as you said, with the other person in mind. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Because we aren't taught to do that, right? We, I mean, yeah. what it comes down to is I, I, I have a slight, I'm not going to say a vendetta, but I have a lot of criticism for the education systems and, mm-hmm. and the way we socialize children because yes. we socialize people and we teach people 
that the only time we get feedback is in the context of right or wrong. Yes. And that, that if someone is giving you that feedback, you have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we tend to equate all of those things together because it's never, mm-hmm. it's so rarely given, even in school, with your best mm-hmm. intentions in mind. It's not, hey, right. Laurel is showing up with all of these incredible skills and all of these incredible opportunities, and we're going to give her feedback that mm-hmm. applies specifically to her in these ways. It is generic and 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 generally unhelpful, even in you know higher education states. And we socialize and teach people their whole lives that this is to be expected. So in the workplace, we expect these, like we step in thinking this is the way it's going to be. And it's exactly awful. It Exactly. It is. And I, I really believe that feedback is feedback. <laughs> feedback is feedback. It's data, right? It is information. And as you say, we've spent so much time just with the negative and then delivering it in a way that is negative, right? And hurtful. And so anytime, that's why feedback systems are so hard and why they don't work. And why now everybody's trying to turn them upside down and say, we're not doing performance reviews because managers didn't like to have clear, candid conversations. They don't like to manage performance because you might have to tell someone they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid, right? In the, in the, what is it? Participation trophy world, right? Heaven forbid someone has some things to improve upon. I, I truly believe that's one of the reasons why Strengths Finders found such a foothold because it comes that, and for those of you who don't know, Strengths Finders is an, is a, an assessment, right? A leadership kind of personality assessment. And, but it focuses on what are your strengths as opposed to what are all these gaps, where all these weaknesses that you need to work on. It comes from a strength-based thing first. And for those of you who are in professional services, um, and who have been there kind of like Celine is and like I was before, if you think about those professional services form, firms, just like in corporate, especially law firms, accounting firms, things like that, where there's big compliance, when you're doing performance reviews in those situations, you are automatically starting with all the things that don't work. Why? Because if someone doesn't do somebody's taxes right, or if someone doesn't do an audit right, there are actually true ramifications of that, right? So there's a there's there's a practical need to understand and identify and correct gaps in skill. Understand that. The challenge is when you start with that and never get to the foundation of what people do well so that they can use that to build upon the gaps, you create this fear of feedback, which is what we've got now. That's what we've got. Amen to all <laughs> having a just, uh, go ahead go ahead I, I i just i i i just look at these things sometimes and listen to these conversations i'm like guys let's go back and start with the end in mind what were we trying to do what did we do it's a post-mortem what did we do well that's fantastic how can we keep playing on it what right. didn't go so well and why and yep. focus on the behavior that generated an action that made an impact that impacted the outcome that's it. It's not about somebody's character. It's about behavior and how it impacted something. Yeah. A hundred And that would require teaching people how to have conversations that aren't, Laurel, you always do this, or you always do this, or this shows up this way, or I, I didn't like this thing, which yes. many people unfortunately don't know how to have. And okay. it is, you know, 
I, I feel like I can't emphasize enough what you just said, which is that it is not about only this is my I love strengths finders and there are organizations and people that use it where they only are like we're only going to talk about the good stuff that is not helpful I am sorry that is as toxic as only talking about the gaps and opportunities so read we have to have space for both we need to be able we need to be creating systems and organizations and leaders who know how to say and acknowledge here's all the things you're doing really well Mm -hmm. and here's why this is so great and look at all these things and here's the opportunities you have here's the behavior that led to this outcome and and you know this is why it's not serving you as well because if we are only focused on filling our gaps and 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 you know improving these things that are problems it is going to feel overwhelming we're going to feel dissatisfied we're going to be like we shut down it's not positive Mm -hmm. and if we only are focusing on the things that we're good at, then we are never actually growing because we are just recycling the things we already know. Ugh. And scene. Number two. <laughs> right? I just, I'm like, I just, and, and it gets back to that whole compartmentalizing thing too, right? Because we, as individuals, even if you're not in a leadership position and you're trying to figure out what to say and what not to say, and we were compartmentalizing We also, as individuals, as individual contributors in our careers, in our organizations, we have a tendency to compartmentalize. We compartmentalize that part of our life that's difficult. We compartmentalize the part that we've been told is bad, right? So we try to compartmentalize that. If there's so much going on and the information is is confusing and we're not sure where the organization is going and we've got scarcity mindset and we don't know if they're going to lay off because we've heard all this buzz, we start compartmentalizing and we're not showing up. It's not the whole idea necessarily of, of showing up authentically because that's that's a whole different discussion around DE&I and, and allowing people space to be who they are because not all of you, not 100 of you is appropriate for every situation. The backyard barbecue you is probably not the you you need to show up to the corporate gala with the CEO and the board of directors. Mm-hmm. That's just social decorum. But this whole idea of, of, of blocking things, right? Of putting things in little buckets so that we can function. I think the other side of that, that I'm sure you've talked with leaders about too, is how we don't then just sit so much in that compartmentalizing that we're never able to get back to showing up as a full individual contributing. So how do you get people to manage through that? Look, go talk to somebody outside so you can get your stuff together before you come and talk to your team so they don't get all wound up how do you get people to to kind of connect it all and still be okay i wish i had one really brilliant answer for this that would that would be like here's the billion dollar answer that answers right but i think it is so individual and i think it is i think it is dependent on a lot of different things i think it is dependent Mm -hmm. on and this is not an age thing but i think it is dependent on the leadership maturity of a person so some Mm -hmm. people are young and have incredible maturity when it comes to leadership and really kind of deeply understand the effect they have on people for whatever reason the impact what that looks like that you know barbecue self versus ceo gala self that you know ingrained in them there are some people who are in their 60s and 70s who do not have that maturity so it's really not an age thing it is an understanding thing and i think a lot of it comes from 
self-awareness and self, mm-hmm. you know, processing things for themselves and doing that deep reflection. Mm-hmm. And there are, depending where people are at in that process and mm-hmm. how much work they have done or are committed to doing from that point of view, mm-hmm. I think the answer is really, really different. And yeah, the challenge is that on a lot of teams, um, there is a diverse range of that showing up. Yes. So we'll have some leaders who are deeply, deeply self-aware and self-analytical mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have been doing work in that realm for years and really yeah. are, are committed to the impact of what they're doing and moving mm-hmm. through those buckets is much more natural for them because of that, right. because them compartmentalizing in this space does not mean that they are not themselves. It, they, it, they have not given that meaning of this is inauthentic or mm-hmm. I am acting out of character because they can clearly see these yeah. people, I'm going to impact these people in this way if I do it another way. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be mindful of them and show up in the way that serves them, which is important to me and my identity. So you will yes. have people who who deeply who are aware of that and get that and you will have on the same team you will have people who are you know maybe deeply uh introspective for themselves Mm -hmm. but not on an emotional level or not on an impact level or it comes from criticism not really like processing so they that then they don't know what to do with it externally and the Mm -hmm. how they would manage through that is entirely different and i think the you know the the biggest piece of advice that's not really the right word but the biggest um insight i would offer here is that there is no one approach that's going to work for everyone and if Mm -hmm. we think there is then we're doing those people a disservice because it it has Mm -hmm. to be about meeting them also for leaders this goes for you i don't care if you're a coach i don't care if you're a leader you have to meet the people on your team around you you're working you're serving where they are. Yes. That's the biggest yes. insight I would offer. Yes. Well, and, and along those lines too, because that, that's so important to be able to meet people where they are. You also have to know where you are. And so you've yep. talked about, you know, having that external, having therapy. I'm a huge believer in therapy. I mean, I've been with my therapist for, for years. Thank God. <laughs> right? I'm like, cause there's been some things where I'm like, okay, so I, I, yeah, speed dial. Right. But how, what are some suggestions you would give to people if they're beginning a journey of self-awareness, especially, so I'm not, there are some very seasoned leaders who need this more than a lot of people, but right now I want to focus on those folks who are really moving into leadership, who are really focused on being the best leader they can be. And, and one of those things to really dive into your leadership and whoever you are going to be as a leader is to be really, really self-aware. What are maybe some suggestions you have for courses or books or people to follow that really help, could help someone as they're starting on a journey around self-awareness? Um, I think that's a great question. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a couple of suggestions. There is okay. a book called uh, Self-Esteem and it's by Fanning and McKay, I believe are the oh, authors. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, and we'll include this in the notes guys. Yeah. And it, so the reason I, I offered, I would say that title is that the, 
there the approach to the book is based in cbt so it's very mm -hmm. action oriented it's not okay. just a book you read it's very action oriented here's exercises to start mm -hmm. to unpack some of the stories and connections we make about ourselves okay. it's very self-reflective so i think it's a uh, um I, everyone i have ever recommended that book to is like okay yeah okay i get it even if they're like yeah. i don't have self-esteem problems right self-esteem <laughs> problem it is about right. deepening self-awareness. And I think that book yes. is really powerful. The okay. book that I recommend more than any other book in the history of time, um, and it's not a new book, and it's sitting next to me because I recommended the other day, not yeah. even, is The Four yeah. Agreements, which is what <laughs> you're going to pull Mine up. is sitting on my bed. I reread it. I reread it every once in a while. I'm rereading it again. Yep. Yes. Because it is so hilariously simple to say yes. here's four things that if you can change about how you think and how you approach life it's going to yes. massively impact how you think of yourself your self-awareness your awareness of other people and i think it's it's very simple and it's such mm -hmm. a game changer so i would definitely recommend that i think that if you're following on social media there's a few really great people mm -hmm. um and I cannot, Nicole Pereira, my para okay. uh, on Instagram is the holistic psychologist. Oh, she awesome. Okay. A lot of really great stuff around self-awareness. Some mm -hmm. of it, I'm, this is a trigger warning for people. A lot of it comes from trauma mm -hmm. and recognizing trauma because she's very committed to, to not ignoring mm -hmm. that piece, which unfortunately a lot of psychologists on social media do. Right. Yes, right. I see. And so she's very committed to processing that mm -hmm. stuff is really great and yeah. really insightful for people who are exploring and interested in the world of, of deepening their self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, awesome. The most basic thing I'm going to suggest is journaling. Yes. Journal, write stuff down. I, voice note, if you're a audible auditory processor, yes. I don't care what journaling looks like for you. Don't care. Mm -hmm. not, yeah. It's not how it looks. But have a place to to process and put some of these things so it's not just mm -hmm. um, you kicking it around in your head endlessly because that can happen. I was in that. I did that for a long time. It was great. And, right? <laughs> you know, got me so far. And then at a certain point, I was like, yeah, I can't do <laughs> That's not doing anything anymore. Okay. Noted. So. Yeah. And if you're like me, I mean, I, I'm such an internal processor, right? I, I, I'm actually, I'm such a Libra, right? I, I'm so, there are times when I'm processing out loud. See, yes, I know. This is why I'm processing out loud. I'm just, you know, and, and I've had to learn to tell people, y'all, we're just talking right now, yep. right? And then there are other times when I'm revisiting something that happened 400 years ago. And I'm like, I can't believe I didn't say that. Why did I say, did I not say madness right yep. and so i've got more journals i'm sitting here looking at a bin of 10 journals i've got journals everywhere yep. and they're pretty and they're gorgeous and i will start writing in them and they help and then i'll get undisciplined and i my head gets messy and then i got to start again so yep. really i can't emphasize enough how helpful it is to get it out of your head and somewhere else as you said auditory or written whatever and there is a, a science behind the mind body connection that writing does something um, they're even talking now about students who learn better when they take handwritten notes as opposed to taking notes on their computer, right? There's yep. something about the, the neural connection when you're actually writing something down. Yep. 
So we will we will put all of these suggestions, guys, in the notes of the show so that you can get them. I am totally aligned. I have not read the self-esteem one, so I'm going to go get that one today. Yeah. And um, but four agreements. Yep. Sitting on my nightstand right next to my bed. I started rereading it. I, you know, see, this is why I know. Okay. I know. Four million journals, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Pretty paper. Um, and, and the other thing, you know, if you if you have a, a gratitude practice. Um, and I highly recommend um, the Gratitude 540 practice by Alexis Thompson, if you're looking for a gratitude practice to start. But I also have a practice for me because I'm a, I'm a woman of faith. And so, you know, my prayer life, there's a, and I have a messy brain. And so there's this process called praying in color. And I'll have to put that, post that for people too. And the whole idea is it's got a book and then it's got a sketchbook. And the whole idea is you're sketching as you're praying. Right. And so for me, it was like, oh, my God, this is so much easier because my hand is connected. My brain is moving. But it's just, you know, you draw the thing you're praying about or the person or the pictures or just abstract, whatever it is. But it's that neural connection. Right. Yeah. And getting it out of your head. And if you're if you have a meditation practice, if you have whatever it is and you can't seem to stay focused, what is the thing you need to do to connect that so that you continue to be self-aware so you can get the best out of this practice that you're giving yourself the gift to do? Celine, I, I do we have another like two hours <laughs> to talk? Can we just hang out all the time? Just do this all the time. All the time. All the time. I'm like, we need our own show. It's just, it's this has been so amazing, so incredible. It and and we did what I knew we would do. We went where the spirit led us. And I really believe there's some stuff in here, guys, that you as you are building your leadership, because again, leadership is about is about behavior, not about position. Please listen to this over and over and over. Take this advice, really practice and, and go give yourself the gift of doing some work on self-awareness, because if you can get really aware of self, you can be prepared to serve other people. Celine, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this was, I'm like uplifted. I'm like fired up right? <laughs> for all the stuff I got to do this week. So I appreciate you so much being on the show. I just, I just can't even imagine. And we will absolutely be doing it again because um, I'm sure there's something else we got to talk about that'll Always. come up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll reschedule. Always. So thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of The Rutledge Perspective. It has been such a pleasure. As always, I appreciate your being here. Celine, we will have you back again. We'll make sure all your stuff is up there and all the suggestions. And you guys be sure to download and rate and review and give me suggestions if there's stuff you want to talk about. I'd love to hear those. And until next time, we'll catch you later. Bye. You have been listening to The Rutledge Perspective Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If we've given you a new perspective or helped you clarify your own, please leave us a review, send us your comments, give us a five-star rating. We take that information seriously and it helps us to decide what our next episodes will be. Now you can find more information about this and other episodes of the show on laurelrutledge.com. And you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow me on social media. And if there's someone that you think would enjoy or benefit from the Rutler's Perspective podcast, please pass it along.